You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, the running public. This is the Running Public's Training Tuesday. Training Tuesday is where we talk about training only. One topic, we dive deep, we explore it completely. It's training, it's Tuesday. Training Tuesday. Tuesday. We're just gonna we're just gonna jump right into this bracket. Uh, breakfast of champions over there for you this morning. Yeah, this is second meal, second breakfast. Yeah, yeah. What pizza? I think this is probably I don't know the fourth or fifth time where you've been munching on cold pizza before ten a.m. when we record this thing. Yeah, before nine a.m. today. Yeah, is that typical for you? I like eating leftovers. I really do. So my first meal of the day is usually something simple, depending on my workout. And then mm-hmm. afterwards, I like to move right into leftovers for my second meal. I don't know why, but cold pizza makes me cringe. But you're the hot food guy, you said, right? Yeah, I'm the hot food guy. They call me the hot food guy. <laughs> hey, it's hot food guy. <laughs> hey, it's a hot food guy. I'm, I'm the hot food guy. But anyways, that was nice. We had, to, we had to delay starting this recording, folks, because Bracken needed another three minutes to eat his pizza. I have the biggest mouthful, and I just... You know how when you have something in your mouth and you have to get chewed... You just can't for the life of you chew it. That's how this was. Do you know how I know? Because when you got a mouthful of pizza, then you do this <laughs> heavy breathing out your nose because yeah. you can't get any air through your mouth. So all I could hear was like this nose breathing. So I knew you were you were hitting it hard. I was. <laughs> I, I feel like if you took a giant mouthful of pizza, you could have it down in like two or three seconds. But if you take a giant mouthful of pizza and you have to talk five seconds later, you don't have a prayer. There's not a chance. You were almost gasping. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised I'm seeing you this early. I thought you were going to message me or call around 10 and say, hey, do you want to try this this afternoon? You had a long weekend of racing and travel. Yeah. I, uh, and, you know, the funny thing is, is that I bought, um, I bought Jess a plane ticket last minute, like four days out for her birthday to come join me, um, mostly as a birthday present but, or because of her birthday, but mostly because I just wanted her company. And so we didn't really get to celebrate much. And so we got home last night at like, I think we rolled in at like 1030 or 11. And I was like, let's like kind of celebrate. So we made some mac and cheese. What kind? Uh, it was some gluten-free Annie's crap. Kind of, you know. Granola. Oh, I've had my share of Annie's. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. We, and uh, anyways, had that. We had some peanut butter M&Ms for dessert. Made a couple of Manhattans. Used uh, used my two uh, triangle trophies as coasters, <laughs> and and had a night. And so, like, I woke up this morning, I was like, oh. But that was kind of like a culmination of the weekend, and kind of just like unwinding after you know a good bit of work this weekend. So yes, but anyways, old habits, man. I had to, I woke up early like normal. So yeah, here we here we are, here we are. I woke up early too. Yeah, I saw that. Um, you you ran your first you ran your first run. I did in what a month. Yeah, it's uh, a month and a day. Okay, and tell me more. I just saw your Instagram story. I did 5K on the trails. I chose oh. Pancake Flat Trail. I did uh, I did about five minutes, stopped and shook out and just tested things. And then I did another like eight minutes, 10 minutes, something like that. And then I just turned around and came back. Wow, and how did it feel? I felt good. I had all those phantom things pop up. 
where I got done and my left calf had like throbbing in my left calf for 10 seconds. You're like, you're not even the injured calf. I know you're just asking for attention. So then I, I hopped on the bike. I, I wanted to get at least an hour in today. So I drove home and then hopped on the bike and finished off there. And by the time I was done with that, everything felt all loosey goosey. Those phantom pains are real though, especially when you're coming yeah. back from something. And a lot of times like that, like fascia and like, there's still some like gunk that needs to be kind of rebroken through. Right. So like I, I go back and forth on those phantom pains, if you listen to them or not. I swear my body runs a systems check from time to time. If I haven't run in a while, I started running my right hip flexors, like I'm injured. And then 10 seconds later, it's like, nah, nah, we're good. And my left knee is like, oh, you have a torn meniscus again. <laughs> and a couple of minutes later, it's like, nah, it's just creaky. It's fine. And then right ankle said, I think you sprained me really bad a couple of days ago. And then said, no, no, never mind. I'm loosened up now. And my whole, like everything waist down runs a systems check and announces injury pain just to like check that, make sure that pathway still exists. <laughs> You're really running up the number of uh, things you can have going on these days. Yeah. And then they're not there. They just, they like to pretend it for a few seconds at a time. Mm, yeah, I'm there too. So I've been there for a few years. <laughs> Welcome to the club, Bracken. Yeah, but we're not here to talk about my phantom injuries. We're here to talk about your race, Kirk. Well, well let's talk about this first. So um, we did. We do these like fun fact Fridays. Ah, uh, yes, yes. Yeah, we have to get to this. So the fun fact, we do one, you know, you guys guess which of us this fun fact is about. And this last fun fact was, it, the answer was me. And it was that I graduated high school with my grandfather, which is very perplexing, right? Even more perplexing, someone chose me and said, I think because of all the transferring, it was Bracken. <laughs> what? <laughs> think that's, about that logic. Well, that's college, first of all. First of all, yeah. First of all, is college. Second of all, yeah. me delaying my graduation would make my grandpa older and older. <laughs> it wouldn't de-age him and bring our ages closer. So I got a kick out of that guess. So this is what happened. This is a very unique story. So I'm going to tell it from my side first. So I did graduate high school with my grandfather. So my senior year of high school, uh, the state track meet was on graduation day for seniors. So it was like I had to choose. Do I go to the state track meet or do I walk in my cap and gown and graduate with my class? It was a terrible timing, right? And the easy choice was... It was no choice at all. It was no choice at all. Go to the state track meet. Well, this just ate at my mother terribly. She like it really bothered her. So she she called the uh, principal of the school and the athletic superintendent of the the uh, district, the AD or whatever his position was, and said, "I have an idea. My son can't graduate uh, with his class. He's going to go represent his school at the state track meet." And by chance, we're also celebrating my grandfather's seventy fifth birthday. And he never had the chance to graduate high school because he got shipped off to World War II to the Pacific oh, when, he wow. was seven, when he was 17. So my grandfather never graduated high school. Um, and he was the head custodian of the Green Bay Public School Districts for like 30 years. He was in the school. He was adored, right? He was, you know, started cleaning toilets and then ended up working his way without a degree into overseeing everything, right? Um <clears throat> and he's a custodian, not a janitor, by the way. He's very particular. I'm a custodian. Oh, yeah. I'm a custodian. And he had, he had a lot of pride in his work, in that, that simple but meaningful work. Anyways, so my mother said, I have an idea. Would you be able to show up at my grandfather's, at my father's 75th birthday and present my son with a cap and gown? And my grandfather never graduated high school. And could you show up and present him with his cap and gown as like an honorary graduate? 
And so then he went to a different high school. So they had the principal of that high school, which was Green Bay West. And I had gone to Southwest. So we had three people there. My principal, the principal of another school that my grandfather obviously attended way before. And then like the athletic director for the Green Bay Public School Districts. So at his birthday, there was full of old people, a bunch of old people, really, in my family. Uh, and they called us both up there. And then I look over. And this was a surprise to me. And my principal was standing there. And oh, you weren't in on it. No, I had no idea this was happening. I was at my grandpa's 75th birthday party. And uh, and then they came in and the athletic director gave a speech saying how I was an example to the community and how I contributed. Da, 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 da. The principal generous. walked in and it's generous, right? <laughs> and then and then the principal walked in and they gave a little speech and called us up and put a cap and gown on my grandfather. It was purple for his team colors and mine was blue. We stood up there and received diplomas together at his 75th birthday party. That's really cool. That's how I graduated high school with my grandfather. Yeah. There may not be anyone else in the U.S. with that story. <clears throat> it was a special day. And then the next day, I think I, I left for the state meet. So it was great. That's awesome. Is your grandpa yeah. still around? He is not, unfortunately. Oh, it's been, been, been many moons. Yeah. It's a man I would have liked to meet. That's quite a story. He's a good dude. Yeah, that was fun. So that's I was the answer. And I did, I did actually graduate with him. Well, I'm going to tie into that story. We right. have custodians in the family. So my dad was a... <clears throat> principal and a teacher for years, okay. a de facto principal. He started his own school and just was the principal for like 15 years until they just finally hired one. He just wore all the hats. Anyways, then he did wait, that. Wait, for wait, like, wait, wait. He started his own school? You can't just brush over that. He, he was a special ed teacher at a big, we had about 2000 kids at the high school I went to. And before I went there, before I was born, he was a first and second year teacher there. In either his second or his third year, he took 15 kids, I think, uh, the kids that are considered at risk, pre-expulsion, expulsion, and took them to a field house a quarter mile away from the school in the basement. The district gave him permission to just reclaim the kids. So he took them there. They had a pool table with a plywood board over it as their classroom. And he started a school in the basement of this field house. And like 35 years later, I got hired when he retired and at his position in that school. So like it wow. took off, but for the first 10 or 15 years, he was teacher slash principal. It was just like a one man operation for a while. Anyways. So he did that. He retired early and then came back to the district um, in an admin position. And then, so he was Dean of students for a different high school for a while in his retirement, just kind of helping out and doing things because he's passionate about that. And then when COVID hit, they didn't really have a use for him. And this school that he started has switched buildings and it's big now. There's hundreds of students and they've transferred it from a, an alternative high school to a project-based learning high school. They took the principles he did and said, we should just use this for all kids, not just kids that can't learn any other way. So now it's it's a general population school and they wanted him to come back and help out and like with that transition, but they didn't have an actual position available. And mm -hmm. so they got approved to hire him as assistant custodian. <laughs> Although that's not what he's doing. He's running a hydroponics lab and and doing uh, middle school and elementary school outreach with those kids. They're going in and setting up hydroponics labs in the elementary and middle schools and growing vegetables for the lunch programs. That's amazing. But he's he's assistant custodian. And anyone who knows my dad knows that he, he does that job. So he runs the hydroponics lab, but he is doing daily custodial work as well. So he went from dean of students to assistant custodian. Wow, that's awesome. I did not know that. Yeah. 
So he's like installing hydroponics labs and putting the sawdust on kids throw up in the hallway, if I recall. Yeah, and like pipes burst and he's in there help working on uh, the and Respect, sir. Respect. I mean he's he's sixty-four, I think, now. Like he's earned his there's right to do whatever he wants and he he chooses to just keep on, as Yancey would say, keep on serving. I like that. That's awesome. Yeah. Did not know learning something about each other. We have the custodian connection. And yeah, don't you dare say janitor to a custodian. Nope. Custodian is the right way to say it. That's right. All right. We got that out of the way. Yes, we did. Good. Vegas time. Should we talk about racing and running? Yeah. Yeah. I lived through you this weekend. Yeah. How so? They did a good job. uh, I mean, with the Instagram story updates, at least there was enough footage out there to like have an idea what happened. I feel like Lisa gets so happy and justified every time I'm not racing and I try to find information and updates about a race. She's like, see, this is exactly what all of us go through every single time you're out there racing. Because <laughs> it's terrible. I mean, it they did terrible. a decent job, but still, for a multi-million dollar company, you could have some updates. Yeah. Yeah. And they haven't posted anything on their platforms like officially yet, which I don't know why. Usually they, they would have. But as a, as an overview, as far as the event, um, now I wasn't in San Antonio the week prior, but this was the this is as busy as any Spartan event I have ever been to. It was busier than Jacksonville, in my opinion. All the start corrals were completely full. And from the elite through the age group, uh, and I'm assuming in the open, like the heats were full. Everything was packed. And I, I mean, people were lingering around the venue. It was a festival area, right? I mean, there were masks hanging off of ears, you know, there, it was like, it was like nothing had changed. And as much as, you know, some people could scoff at that and, and part of me wants to, and part of me doesn't, it was like, it was a race weekend, man. And people lingered and it was enjoying beers after the race. And it was like really good to see the community back in like full force. Like Jacksonville was a definite taste of it when we all got together there. And then Vegas was like, I looked around, I was like, there are people everywhere. The start lines are full and like the excitement was real. So like as in general, it felt like officially we're back and Jacksonville felt a bit like that, but this felt like here we are like 2021 we're back at it. So that was really nice from this weekend. That's a cool feeling. Yeah. Especially right after they postponed big bear. <clears throat> right. Right. I mean, and when officials or volunteers or anybody walked by and somebody had their mask down, they were, you know, pull that thing up and, and they were when they saw it, but there were so many of us around. That- and Arizona had just lifted their mask mandate, right? I don't know. I think like days prior to this, they just lifted their mask mask mandate. Well, we'd gone out to dinner and we were staying in Mesquite, which is in Nevada, and everybody was wearing masks inside of of the restaurants in this store. So I, I didn't go anywhere public in Nevada or in in Arizona. For those of you who don't know, the the race takes place just over the Nevada Arizona border. So the city most people stay in is in Mesquite, which is in Nevada, and then we go over the border and race in Arizona, which is a little confusing because. We race in mountain time, but everybody's staying in Pacific time. So they send out a notification saying, hey, we're going off of Pacific time. So you don't show up an hour off of when you should start. But that's tough. Um, so that does an overview. Great. It was a great like vibe, energy. The music was loud as heck. People were kind of bumping and it was uh, overshot. Very good weekend. Um, yeah, I would say that's like the 10,000 foot view of the, the event. Now, my 10,000 foot view of the event is that that course is the preview the flatland preview of the Abu Dhabi World Championship because people get a taste for what sand running actually feels like. And it's brutal, huh? Uh, you know, the, I describe the course as surprisingly gritty. Um, for those of you who, who are thinking of going to Abu Dhabi, 
and weren't at Vegas this weekend. I don't know. You guys could who raced this weekend. I'll have to. It's a little cloudy, but I would say if two to three miles of the course were sand running. And that's the sand, not like the packed sand where you can run on the beach where the water's rubbed up against it. And it's it's like the sand that just is annoying as shit and sucks the life out of you. And there is no way that I will show up into Abu Dhabi without a sand training block because it made a big difference. Um, it's something about it feels like you're running up like a like a 10 to 15 percent grade is the way it like hits the quads. But your return on investment when, when you push off is like the harder you push off the decreased return on investment. Right. Mm-hmm. So like, it's, it's like a very fine line to walk. And I think it's something you need to feel out and understand. Um, I think the snow running translated a little bit, but that sand is even, I'm going to say it's worse. Like oh, if yeah. you have three inches of snow or you have three inches of sand, the sand wins every time as far as like annoyance goes. So, cause the snow kind of packs underneath your feet providing a little bit of push off and the sand just doesn't. So you're exactly correct, Bracken. Um, what, what was your take on, on the sand running in your, in your history, I guess? Uh, Cause I know you've been out, you know, in the middle East and, and you've raced Vegas before, I believe too. Old Vegas. Yeah. Okay. Like what's your take on it? It's, it's just your, your, your effort has to be doubled to hit half the pace is how it feels. It, it's like a dream. You know, those dreams where you're trying to run either in a race or to get away from someone or to catch something, but no matter what you do, you just can't get purchased with your feet. It's that, except you feel all the fatigue. Like you said, it's weird. It's like your quads get smoked. They're get, they get really fatigued, but you feel like you can't put any pressure into the ground. And the harder you try to push off, the more you slip. We had talked about this off mic that snow running as slick as it might be. If you have grip on your shoe, like carbide tip, eventually you, you dig into something. And if it's, if it's thick snow at some point, it stops moving and compacts and you push off of it. But sand starts moving the second your feet touch it and it keeps moving until your foot's off the ground. You never get that purchase. And so you leak energy everywhere throughout your stride. Yeah, that's exactly right. And let's say you put 20% more effort into running. So you're trying 20% harder. And on concrete, you try 20% harder and you get 20% more speed back. On sand, you try 20% harder and you get 2% more speed back. It's like the cost versus benefit is just very skewed. There's no rhythm. You cannot, you have to, it's mentally draining too, because you have to be on it every step. If you, if you lose focus, you just stop. It, your momentum halts immediately. Immediately, correct? yeah. You have to stay on it. Every stride has force output. Like there is no rhythm and there is no momentum. Yep, that's a good way to describe it. And so, so those of you who are considering Abu Dhabi, I'm telling you, like if you, it just based on what the the sneak peek here at Vegas was, if you go without somehow finding a way to train that, uh, you're going to be in big trouble. Like very, very, very big trouble. So. Um, point number one is that will be a must. Like I already know where I'm going to have to go train for this. Although I'm a little worried because things are going to be frozen here by the time lead up to Abu Dhabi is going to happen. So I don't know where I'm going to get my sand, but anyways, uh, you got to do it. You got to do it. And, um, <clears throat> and the thing is, is like picking your lines and that stuff. Like they have the four wheelers that ran the course in the morning to make sure it was good. So you have these four wheeler tracks you can run in. But next to it looks softer, but it might not actually be softer because the four-wheeler tires dug up that sand and kind of loosened it a little, even though it looks more packed down. And then you have these little anthill undulations the whole way, which also change like your rhythm. So you're picking lines a lot more than you would on any other terrain. Um, And then you talk about Abu Dhabi, 
then you got like hills and dunes involved. So you're going up on sand, which got to be even more miserable. It's so bad. Uphill, you know, and flat when your foot digs back and you're trying to push off, it slips a little and you don't go fast. Uphill, mm -hmm. you actually lose ground when it slips. So you take a six, you know, you take a three foot stride and you lose six inches of it and you only move two and a half feet forward. You know, I looked down at my watch and I, we were running uh, 540 pace in the sand. And that first mile was all sand. And it had to be 515 effort, 510 effort running 540 pace. Mm. Um, I mean, it was like I was overextending. And that was, I, I'm going to say probably a 30 second per mile difference, I would say, compared to even like dirt, you know? So for what it's worth, it's a lot more time on course. It is. And it makes you appreciate when you hit something hard. There was oh. this one section in my first year in Dubai. The second mm -hmm. year was mountainous and a little bit of sand. The first year was sand, sand, sand with dunes to break it up. And we hit one stretch where there was a dirt road through the middle of the desert. And I hit it and it felt like I stepped down onto a treadmill. So then <laughs> it's just like, boom, and you took off. Even though you, you weren't moving fast, it was so relieving to hit hard ground. Well, I was watching some of the videos of myself and even VJ. And by the way, like watching those videos... It's like VJ is like the gazelle, right? And then here comes me like a fucking rhinoceros chasing him. Like I looked like a pit bull. I looked at myself. I was like, you don't look like a runner anymore, Kirk. What happened to you? Although to be fair, VJ didn't look fast. He looked light on his feet, but he didn't look fast because you can't in that terrain. Exactly. I was watching us. And first of all, I was like, dang it. I look like a freaking rhino. Second of all, you right. It just sucks it out of you enough. We're like, we were running hard and we were running fast. Like if you gave us on hard fat packed terrain, it would have looked aesthetically very different, but because of the nature of the trade, which you didn't really get by watching, um, it really slowed you down. So we kind of looked like kind of pathetic running through, but it, it very much wasn't. So, mm -hmm. yeah, but, so it's, uh, it's a good reminder for people that long-term, I mean, we, we've posted about it. We've talked about it, that you have to spend time racing race terrain. And the worse the terrain gets, the more true that statement becomes. Like you can go from concrete to grass, okay, or grass to gravel, okay, or gravel to dirt. But once you start having multiple deviations from that good terrain, it gets more and more highlighted how important it is to train on that. And how often do we have good terrain in this sport? Like, let's be real. Never. Yeah, very rarely. Very rarely. So I want to just talk about my race a little bit and what I learned personally, and then a couple other things. And then I know you learned from some of what you had some athletes racing and yeah, and all of that. But, you know, from my perspective, so as you guys know, I, I ran, I've been running two or three times a week, um, ran twice the week prior, uh, but still got my purposeful work in. I was doing more threshold work because you can't do speed work in quotes when you're not running much. When you replace a speed workout with cross training, there goes the speed or the biomechanical efficiency and you're just working energy systems. Right. And <clears throat> so I went out hot. I said, I'm going to stick on VJ till I die on day one. And we went through the mile and the mile was all sand and a couple walls as they normally do. And I realized that, um, first of all, three minutes into that race, you're already reduced to threshold running, right? Speed efficiency. Like it didn't even factor in. It just didn't. And that's like the constant reminder in this sport. Like if I was talking to athletes afterwards and it was like, state power is everything. Efficiency is important, of course. Um, but it just all goes out the window. Like are 400 meter repeats even necessary in this sport? Hell no. You should be doing tempo and threshold work all the time. Like it was just reiterated and just speed to just stay smooth, right? But anyways, got there. And then I realized very quickly if I sustained this effort that it was going to end poorly for me. 
as in like an epic blow up, right? He's just a better runner than I am right now. So um, suddenly had this like 10 or 15 second lead on the rest of the pack by like mile one and a half. And then uh, Mr. Glenn Race, uh, who we ironically interviewed what, last week? Mm -hmm. We talked to him three days before the race. And, and, you know, Glenn hasn't run terribly well in these shorter courses recently, I would say, for himself when he has. Um, and the guy ran tough as nails, man. He uh, he slowly reeled me in um, through the sandy stuff. And then uh, he was better on obstacles efficiency than I was. The one thing that really stood out from an athlete perspective this this weekend when I chatted with my athletes after the race and was that running felt good. People were like, I th my state power was good, but everybody was breaking rust off on obstacles. And I was one of them. Like, I hate to admit it. I do bar work at the gym and I don't take enough time to play around on real things because I know I'm athletic enough to get through it. But I lost to Glenn by, I think, 12 seconds. And I bagged in probably four of those seconds finishing. And I lost eight seconds to him for sure on Olympus and Z-Wall. It was yep. all the difference right there. So I didn't even notice there were balls on the chains on Olympus. I thought the old Z-Wall had just chains or the old Olympus just had chains, right, Bracken? Yep. Yeah. And so I look at Glenn afterwards and he's got his feet high. He's got He's on the chains. And then I watched the video back of VJ and myself and we look like we're just hanging on for dear life. The holes are further apart than I remember. They're lower than I remember. Mm -hmm. The angle of Olympus is steeper and it's coated in that plastic like wood shit. And so it was just, it was a lesson learned. And a lot of people learned that one. I would say, take a, a chapter out of Glenn's book and use the chains with the ball, get your feet high. And instead of scraping up your knees, I got such scabby knees, I can't wear pants today <laughs> and do that. So that was one lesson learned. I don't know. what did you see from that? Well, yeah, you could tell that one of you guys has been doing gym work and one has an obstacle course in their backyard. <laughs> and he does. And he has access. I mean, SoCal, there are obstacle gyms and people with, you know, ranches all over the place that have that stuff. And so his, he was much sharper in his training and fitness, including race skill preparation. Yep. And that was a theme with how some of the athletes felt after the race. Yeah. Yeah. So I learned that. So then I catch Glenn again after the Olympus and I pass him and I go by Glenn and he calls it his old man noise. I go by him and he's like, hey. Ah! he's screaming out in the middle of the desert like he's being stabbed. It was amazing. I was like, I don't know if he's right now to try to make me think he's hurting or if he actually is, but it was like he was in physical distress. Glenn, Glenn runs ugly. Uh, he's not poetry in motion when he runs. He gets into the suck early and often and he just churns, but he, he doesn't give up. He doesn't break. You beat him or you don't. He's in that crowd. The people that you have to beat him, but you're not going to make him drop. He's not going to let me beat it. And a lot of people in the current generation haven't raced Fit Glenn, and you raced Fit Glenn. Yeah, that was it was very impressive because I know my fitness, and I'm fit right now. I'm not as fit as I'm going to be in a few months, but I'm fit. And uh, anyway, so he was screaming in the in the grunting in the uh, in the middle of the desert. Passed him, got to Z Wall again. I was just tentative on it because I was a little gun shy after Jacksonville. It was wet, and I would just took way more time than I needed to. And he caught me. We got off of that, and he got another two steps on me. Worked on catching him again, and then I think he knew he kind of had me. And then what happened, Bracken, is my two days a week of running caught up to me the last two miles. <laughs> That's where it's going to get you. <laughs> and he had me by about, oh, I would say 20 meters, and I kept telling my damn legs. I'm like, your legs? You're going to bring me up to Glenn? You're going to get me there? He's right there? Like, go. And my legs were like, you're wrong, son. Like, you're like, I'm not taking you there, brother. 
And then we got to the bucket carry where I should have passed and caught up to him and there was, I was bankrupt. And so then I just hung on and it was miserable for the last 10 minutes. And it was the most pain I've felt in a long time. And I was very proud of that. So um, that was, that was day one and VJ ran away from it. I want to say on the running front, um, knowing how hard I worked and knowing where he finished and then watching him through the obstacles. Um, he's firing on all cylinders. He probably made up 30 seconds on the obstacles over the course. I'm sure on me and maybe Glenn, and then is running his next level. And I just want to give my hats off to VJ. He's, uh, he's running very, very well. He's, um, he's a dangerous, he's a dangerous kid. He is. And he's young and he's still improving. I know. So that would be that. And then, uh, and then day two, similar. I went out with VJ, um, stuck close for about a mile and then he ran away from me. I felt actually a little better on day two was a lot more in control of my effort until about the last 10, uh, 10 day, eight to 10 minutes until I wasn't once again, it hit me like when it hits, when you're not quite running enough, it hits harder. Right. And so then this young kid, another 22 year old guy who we don't know, Ryan, um, do you see his last name? Mm-mm. Uh, started reeling me in <clears throat> another 22 year old guy who has a uh, Xterra and biking background, first elite Spartan race, started reeling me in. And I think he was almost 30 seconds behind me, but he scared me a little bit there for a second. And uh, it was another fun day. So it was a good weekend. That's a successful weekend. And yeah. and you know what? There's nothing worse than knowing that, like when you got to that point, you said, I need to catch him up. I need to catch up. I need to reel him in. And your body just says, it's not a, it's not an option right now. I'll never forget at OCR World Championships one year, Matt Murphy, I believe it was either Matt Murphy or James Appleton, but I thought it was Matt Murphy. It doesn't matter. Was running through this Creek bed coming off of a really tough rig. And that was kind of the start of the race. Like if there was the preamble, everyone got out hard and then the rig destroyed people. And then the second half started there and there's someone yelling, let's go. You got to make a move. And he looked up and he just said, mate, the button's been pushed. (laughs) And he just had like this look of, acceptance on his face and that that phrase the button's been pushed is just never left me because that that summed it up perfectly you know that feeling when the button's been pushed you've already given what you have and now it doesn't matter how hard you mash that button there's nothing happening you're bleeding and you're applying the tourniquet is kind of what's happening yeah best case scenario is you slow down slower than your body wants to Mm mm-hmm that's a good way to put it. Or you, I've already burned my matches. Yep. The button's been pushed. Yeah. The button was pushed. So that's a good analogy there. Well, that's what you wanted to do. You wanted to get out there, push the button and, and race and get some time on course. And I'm glad you were able to and come out healthy. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know if I would have, if I ran too much the week prior, I, I had to charge up and now the body's feeling very good. I, I think I'm kind of hitting over the hump with it. I was being extra cautious because it's Vegas. It's not the world champs. It's not a U.S. national series race. I don't need to go in as sharp as I, as I can be because it's not worth it right now. So, um, it was good. It was nice to be out there. I was within a minute of VJ. I think it was like 55 seconds behind him in a sprint, which is an eternity in a 24 minute race. So there's a lot of improving to do there, but it's Um, burpee range. Yeah. It's burpee range. Yeah. So, um, a lot of missed spears too, folks, like so many missed spears. And I was almost guilty. It was a little further back than normal. Like Spartan put it another three feet back than it was in Jacksonville. And the layout just seemed like it was a little harder and the spears were a little heavier and they dropped a little more. So everybody was hitting low. Um, the burpee pit was embarrassing. I would say on the elite and age group side, like I looked over, I was like, there shouldn't be that many people in age group and elite doing burpees. So like do your homework guys, Bracken and I talk about like, you got to put the time in up front, which means like go throw a hundred spears 
three times a week for a month and get that muscle memory down um, because it makes a difference. So I was disappointed in the population as a whole on the spear throw. <laughs> it's a good reminder that the more brutal the race is, the more likely you are to miss low. And if it's a little farther away and if it's a little heavier, as you come up and you look around and you know you're more tired and you see people in the burpee pit, you realize this is the day for me to put a little extra charge on this spear. Because yeah. it's, it's a heartbreaker to throw well, but just be a little soft. Yeah. And they put us through up, down, up, down that real steep terrain first. And it kind of blew everybody up because you came into that hurting and then they made you climb and descend and had the bucket and all that. And so people came in wasted into the gauntlet. You don't see a lot of people impressively running through like the barbed wire and the, the moguls at the end because everybody was toast. And you're exactly right. And people need to practice fatigue spear throws. That bucket looked heavy. It was heavy, way heavier than Jacksonville. They you can tell the weight by how people carry it. And usually with this bucket, you have people just balancing their hand on it to keep it steady and to keep it from bouncing. There was no bounce in the buckets. The buckets were trying to fall down people's back and they were leaning with it. It looked significantly heavier. It's funny that you noticed that. I picked that up and was like, this ain't, this ain't what it was a month ago. They, I, there's no, I don't think there's any rhyme or reason or consistency there. It was at least 10 to 15 pounds heavier than Jacksonville. And it looked it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know how they do that. Tell you what, your finish looked better day two than day one. Your barbed wire crawl was significantly quicker and more aggressive looking on day two. Yeah, I felt better day two, oddly enough. It's interesting how little pieces of fitness show up or in something like a barbed wire crawl. Helps to have somebody on your ass. Like I thought I, I was in potentially had somebody on me. So yeah. Um, what were your takeaways as uh, we're kind of doing, I know we're just kind of recapping and rambling today, folks, but like we got to do like a little bit more lessons learned and some stories from the from the day and all of that. Um, what else did you notice by just watching the the feed? Anything? Yeah, it, OCR is one of the we, we I've said this many times, but OCR is one of the few endurance events where you can be rewarded for going out too hard, just by the nature of obstacles and terrain changes and getting out of sight. And it reminded me watching the race that that is amplified the worse the terrain is. Sometimes you have to overcommit for a little bit and then you can back off slightly, but to, an estab to establish a gap through bad terrain early and often, and it also establishes your cadence and your mentality in bad terrain because it's really hard to coast through bad terrain. Now, if you're committed to churning through it, your body resorts to churning through it. And people that are like, I'm going to go out a little more cautious and then negative split this race, it, they never caught up. You know, I saw it with you. You committed both days to a pace you couldn't maintain, but it guaranteed you your podium as long as you didn't mess it up then. That was my exact mentality as soon as the gun went off. That's exactly it. Create a gap and I'll find a way to hold on to it. Yeah. And it and it earned you a miserable second half of your race, but it earned you a gap that was now yours to lose. And it's really hard to accelerate through bad stuff. So when you have the energy to accelerate through it, you use it because in the second half, everyone's reduced to kind of the same stumble run through the bad stuff. And so a lot, uh, several people I worked with day two committed to, they all said the same thing. You know what, tomorrow, I think I'm just going to blast out that first mile, attack it and what happens happens. And it paid off for every single one of them. Well, and that strategy is the proper strategy when you've been training consistently mm -hmm. and hard. If you've had patchy training, I don't necessarily think that's the right approach, but most of our athletes have been very well on the training front. And so I agree with you. And, and the thing is, is once you get like how much position shifting happened after mile one, 
one and a half even in a six and a half or almost seven mile race was so minimal. Sure, the little back and forth battles are happening, but big moves are not being being made. So go back, filter through your training log and say, aha, I have done the work. I deserve to go out fast and I will die a little bit and it will suck a little bit, but I'll hold on. I trust that my fitness when I'm reduced to that, what do you, what would you say? Like high end threshold running for yeah. the last three quarters of the race. I'm going to hang on. So that's a, that's a great observation. It's very true. It's what I did exactly. Yeah. And it, and it was so smart and it's not, I repeat, it is not what we recommend for any other style of racing. Mm -mm. It's not what you do in a triathlon or a road race or a track race or a marathon, or especially not a marathon or an ultra. You play your chips correctly there. In a nasty terrain race, you go all in real early and then you suffer and you're rewarded for it afterwards. Yep. Good observation. Second thing. In races currently, there's a lot of time-based, timing chip-based results happening. Most races are not sending people out in mass. Now, the elite wave, how did they do it for you? Chip time, same deal. So even the pro wave is chip time. And what we saw in the age group wave, I want to tell a story about because it, it shows how important this is. There's a, a guy, a coach, Jason Silva. And he took 10th place in his age group on day one. And he started in the third wave of his age group. And he didn't know where anyone was, but he chased hard the whole time. Third, wait, third wave or third row? He told me third wave, but he might have meant row. Okay, just curious. It sounded like he meant wave. He made it seem like he didn't know where people were on course. And he slow played his race a little bit and he tried to close and he never quite caught up. He, he said, I thought I caught a ton of people, but I just didn't make up enough time. So day two, he got into the first wave and he decided he was going to get out hard. And he did that. And he got his first um, Spartan non-stadium podium ever. He's got stadium podiums before, but he never did it off road. And he took third place. And he wow. said, I had this mentality that, I was still that third wave person because I knew there were other third wave people out there. So even though I got out harder and I was running and I could see I was in third, I knew there were people closing. So I hammered everything and I got off the last two obstacles and I sprinted all the way through, even though I couldn't catch second and fourth was way behind me. I sprinted as if they were right there. And it turned out he beat fourth place by six seconds. So the guy who was exactly that's how it's done, Jason. The guy who was in fourth place at the time, who was 30 seconds behind him, was not his competition. It was the other people who were desperately closing and just trying to ruin people's day from a different wave. And so he had the opportunity we all have, which is you get to a rough point in the course. You see, all right, second place is ahead. Fourth place is behind. I can keep racing hard, but I don't have to turn myself inside out anymore. I can kind of painfully cruise control the rest of the way in. And he didn't. And he was rewarded for it. How pissed off would he have been if he had looked back and known, all right, I gave away seven seconds here. And then some guy stole third place from me. So it's a great reminder that in this time of chip timing, that's how we have to approach everything as if place is not a thing. It's all about a time. And then it's also something that we can translate to our racing afterwards and just be better, tougher racers because of it. It's a great lessons learned in 2021's racing scene. It really is. And it's tough. We've talked about this. When you line up with people around you, you're lulled into the idea of I'm racing them. Mm -hmm. But it is all about chip time, which means you run your own race and you run the fastest. You steal every second you can. I had that same conversation, Bracken. I'm going to say with a half a dozen athletes, I'm really? talking seconds. 
either in their favor. I saw some people sprinting home like they were being chased by a bear all alone. Like yeah. I was watching people finish and they were all out kicking, like ugly kicking with nobody next to them. And so people were realizing that. Um, and I, and some of the people I did see jog in, I had a conversation with two athletes in particular within 10 seconds of like the next place, or I would have been two spots up if I were 10 seconds faster and kicking themselves, kicking themselves for not. And so I'm glad to hear, I mean, and, and everybody in Jason's credit, everybody showed up on day two, like nobody other than Glenn not showing up. I don't know anybody in the elite or age group who decided not to come out and hack at day two. Yeah. So to go from 10th to third is just very impressive. And that just really outlines that mentality shift. I had a number of people come up to me also and say, I felt really good on day two. And I did everything you guys told us to do on back-to-back -back race day. All right. Uh-huh. I heard that from maybe a half a dozen people. Like I was, I felt good today. Thank you for your recommendation. So people were listening on that front too. Ah, it warms my heart, Kirk. It was good. I got done. I got a banana in me. I hydrated. I, I did a little cool down. I got my compression on. I laid around most of the day and just moved my body a little in the afternoon and showed up ready to race. So that was good to see. <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter how long we do what we are doing. And for, I mean, for how long have you been working with athletes for? Long enough. I mean, I started coaching when I was a junior in college. I was coaching high school at the time. So, yeah, I guess. I mean, it's, what are we talking? Math is what we're talking. I'm not going to do it, but it's, it's like 15 years. Something I like coached that. in 2007. I started coaching high school girls. So what is that? What is the year now? 14, 14 years. Yeah. Something like that. So let's just call it 10, 15 years. We're doing it. It doesn't matter how long we get into this career. It's hard not to, to wonder if you actually have it figured out. I <laughs> believe in what we do, but there's times I think, man, I hope this works what we say, because if it doesn't, I'm going to feel bad. And when the, those moments when people come back and say, you know what? I did what you said and it worked. Mm -hmm. That makes it all worth it right there. It sure does. It sure does. Uh, the other, the other theme that I just want to touch on a little bit more would be, uh, the obstacle proficiency. I just touched on it. Like everybody was a little rusty or a little slow. I just heard it a good bit. Right. Um, <clears throat> and I think a lot of, you know, one, it's not your fault necessarily. We haven't had a chance to race, but I'm actually in that camp with you folks who says like, I didn't show up. I showed up more ready to run than I did to obstacle. And yeah, obstacling is a small portion of the race, but I think I left, I think I left 20 to 30 seconds on the table on day one and maybe 15 seconds on the table on day two. And that's a lot of time, which means like me who preaches to the running public to go practice what the race is going to simulate has not. I do my bar work. I do my dumbbell pinch grips just to get enough stimulus. Like I'm going to be going to the ninja. I'm going to go work on that stuff because it's important uh, part of racing. And Jess and I are looking at buying a, a new house. And, and right away on the drive back, I was like, we're going to have to put an obstacle situation in the backyard at this new place. Jess, it just, it's, it's worth it. And so I just encourage people, um, you know, I prescribe bar work because I don't know what people all have at home or at their gym, but getting on the real deal is way more important. And so just keep that in mind. I had the conversation so many times this weekend. Um, you you got to do it. So that was a big takeaway for me and from others as well. And you know, I saw that as well this weekend because I got to watch a decent chunk of the Savage Race. Dude, look, those some of those obstacles... Badass. And the showing, like the top, like Nicole and Kempson, badass. Yeah. And what happened in Savage Race for people that didn't watch is that 
That what you talked about, obstacle readiness was magnified. The people who were ready and had techniques down got through things unscathed and got right back to running. And other people were just, they ran into a concrete wall right in front of them and they didn't have a a technique to get through it. And it highlighted two things to me, Kirk. Hmm. The first is the importance of momentum on hanging obstacles, on rigs of any sort. I don't care whether it is something where you have to carry your own implements through, like the rings on those anchors that you have to swing through, or if you have rings that you're holding onto that are attached to pipes, or if you have sheets or the that cheese board they use, it doesn't matter. Momentum is what carried people through. And we saw people with great grip, like Nicole, people with very good grip, like Ryan Kempson, and people with so-so grip, like some of the other people who came through, but I won't call them out for having so-so grip. <laughs> but if they had a technique and momentum, they got through. Whereas people with better grip who suddenly found themselves hanging still or having to backtrack and no momentum, they were stuck. And then when you have to redo it, you rush to redo it because people are coming up and then you blow out your hands and people were stuck there for 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes. And then your race is, is absolutely done because not only are you out of the race, you're not going to get the next rig now because your hands are useless. So momentum on obstacles is so key. And it's a double-edged sword. It's a double-edged sword because if you're less efficient, the more time you spend on them, the more time you spend on them, the quicker you're blown out. And the quicker you're blown out, the less ready you are for the next obstacle. And it's just like a snowball effect. So like you are very rewarded for being smooth and efficient. We always say like relax is smooth and smooth is fast. And you could reply that to obstacles like smooth is fast and fast is what, what would you say? Like non-taxing, right? And so like it's a double-edged sword. Like that efficiency pays off like multifold when you have it. Watching Nicole Miracle go through some of those was like an actual work of art. I'm going to call it that. I was very impressed when I watched some of that back. So you're very, you're very right on that front. And the second thing it showed is that we can't practice sterile obstacles. And we posted about it this weekend. But if you have not gripped a dewy obstacle or a wet, muddy obstacle, you are not ready for one. Because it takes a different engagement of your hands, your traps, your lats, everything to get through one. And you can't learn on the bar. You have to learn before you get to the bar in the race. That's it. There's no substitute for it. You have to have your backup technique in your pocket ready to go. And I would also say when it comes to that, uh, something I can prove on a little bit, but if you looked at the top end elites and I'll include myself in that, and then you look back of the pack, the whole, like you want to watch VJ Jones almost accelerate into the box, jump two bars ahead touched the monkey bars three times, hit the bell. He went from 5.30 pace straight into the box and came off at 5.30 pace. Myself and Glenn included ran all the way into the box, maybe took a second before our hands touched the bar, but it was very, very quick. And as soon as you get back past like those top, oh, I don't know, five or 10, you see the stalls, you see the seconds wasted. And that was like, again, those are like the places where all those seconds add up. And I just saw it a lot amongst the age group, especially people who are very fit. I was watching the age group men and women come by and be like, that dude and that chick, like they are fit. Look at them run, moving well, doing well, but they were still bleeding seconds in those little things. And that's the diff that, that those do add up, you know, we glorify the running and the running's always going to be glorified because it is what we do most of the time. And, and I feel a little silly for that because 
little under emphasis, I feel like on our end on those little obstacle transitions and stuff, we like to overlook it. I do anyways. And it just made me realize like, I saw the results, how close they were on both sides. And I was like, Ooh, that stuff still matters. It still matters. It matters. That's why I got beat by Glenn. I got beat by Glenn, not because of my running. I feel like I almost outran Glenn. I lost him because of obstacles. And I never would have mentioned that in a million years going into the race weekend, saying that at the end of the race, that I didn't take second because of obstacles. Are you kidding me? And I think other people uh, learned that too. So that was the biggest takeaway. Watch. And I, I said it on the Savage broadcast at one point. I said, look at how much walking is starting to happen. People were coming mm-hmm. into obstacles and walking from 20 feet away. You know, you watch Ryan, Nicole, and yeah, they're on a different planet with their fitness. But even the people behind who were the, who were the chase group, they'd run up to it. They'd break down their stride right before they got there and they'd attack. You'd have the other crew that would come up and they'd start walking and shaking their arms out. It's really tempting to do. You're, you're redlined. You are in oxygen debt and your running feels so weak and your lungs are gasping so much that you think I have no power in my body right now, but it is not the same system. You could come in running very tired and you can get within I, th- I would say about 10% of your max, one rep max lifts. You could come in off threshold running and squat or deadlift or bench press within 10% of what you could do. I firmly believe that. But you wouldn't think you could until the moment the bar actually leaves the ground. You'd be like, oh, oh, this isn't the way I felt running. And it's the same way with obstacles. Your grip crushing power is really not impacted by running. Even though your arms feel exhausted trying to churn through the air running, the moment you start on the rig, you don't feel nauseous anymore. Your body just postpones that. And you start running, you feel bad again if you Mm -hmm. haven't recovered and if you haven't breathed through the obstacle. But we have this false belief that we have to stand there and shake our hands out and get our breathing and heart rate under control in order to have a good obstacle. And that's false. 100% false. But what it does do is you lose momentum. Yeah. And, and something you just said is super key, and that is uh, breathing through the obstacle. If you trust and you know and you've practiced, because it's very easy to go, huh, and then not breathe much, and then you come off and you gasp for air, and then you're even in more of a debt. But if you can practice breathing through the obstacles, you can have way more confidence in just hopping right up there, knowing that you're going to like be okay. And you're exactly right. It's like a different energy system where no matter how much you're hurting or redlining, I don't think it affects the obstacling as much once you're up on the bar. No, it really doesn't. And mm-hmm. and I believe that because I've done obstacles in every state of exhaustion. I've done ultra beasts where I didn't bring food second lap and I bonked and crashed completely and didn't fail an obstacle other than mm-hmm. forgetting to do my Tyrolean traverse and burpees. But I completed all the rigs. I've, I've been on that end of the spectrum and I've been down in stadiums. I mean, stadiums and short course are the most miserable, sharp pain you'll ever feel and you get through the rigs. There's been stadiums where outdoor monkey bars and uh, rings on rigs are getting dumped on with rain. And mm-hmm. your heart rates, my heart rate is at 180, 185, close to my max, as much lactate as I can possibly handle. And there's no issue through there. And because they're not related, they are different systems and they fool you into thinking you need rest, but you don't. But you will give away 20 seconds and still have the same good or bad performance on the rig you would have had if you had given away no seconds. Mm, It's all true. It's a challenge because you have to take it on faith. You have to try it on faith, but I challenge the people who are walkers into obstacles to become runners into it and just take it on faith and try it one time. I agree. Try it on faith. Exactly. 
and watch what the what the top end elites are doing and trust that if you've been training hard you will get through it like if you're doing all the puzzle pieces you're doing your running you're doing your hard running you're doing your obstacling and your grip work like those pieces will come together and trust it just trust it and you know what if you do fail and you find out it's not for you like whoops like we're always learning lessons and that's a good sacrificial lesson to learn if if it doesn't go well but there's no need to walk folks if you're if you're one of those looking to place i believe your best chance at any obstacle is your first one provided you have a plan going in your best chances on the first one and that's your highest completion rate you better get into it and take advantage of it before you move into your second one and the same goes for spear the people you see pump faking the spear three four five times starting to stopping every time you do that you're raising your chance of missing i believe in getting in doing it and getting on man and talk about annie doobie on the women's side went into the spear in the lead both days uh, and missed both days. And the girls just behind her, Casey Monroe, Ashley Heller, were too good. They were close enough to strike and they both hit their spears and they both stole first and second. So ooh, I fell for her. She came across the line disappointed both days and she had earned it with the run and then and then lost it. So and and watching her point being as I watched her spear throw, Hammond had videoed it and she took a lot of time thinking about it and a lot of time getting ready. And I don't necessarily think that's the answer on the spear either. No, it's the same thing. It's earned in practice. If you get to the spear and you're figuring out how to grip it and what your target needs to be, like your aiming point and how many steps you're going to take back, like the opportunity is lost. Mm -hmm. It's the thing you practice it. You look at the course map, you see what's coming before and you realize how I have to run into it, whether it's a spear, whether it's a rig. And then you look at videos that they put up and you see exactly the setup of things so that you know your strategy by the time you get there, all you're doing is releasing your your tactic. That's it. Yep. There's no thought that goes into it. Yep. And running, running still did the talking. It always is going to like running still did the talking in Vegas. Um, but obstacling adds like the flair, right? It adds mm -hmm. the, the fun part to the conversation. It adds like the, I don't know. It's just, it was more important than I anticipated it to be on a dry course that was easy to obstacle. So yeah. Keep in mind. yeah. What else did you notice? Anything else? Well, I, I want to play off that a little bit more. And that is that I watch a lot of animal shows with my kids. And you know <laughs> okay. what has stuck out to me? Animals don't mess up. Mm -hmm. They don't lose their balance very often. They don't miss. They don't screw up their footing very often. And mm -hmm. the only reason is, is because they're not in their heads, right? Like we have the same general musculature and nervous system as most mammals. We're definitely the weakest creature, but like to scale, we have the same working pieces, but we trip and fall or we slip off things or we mess up or we come up short. You, you never see an animal halfway commit to a jump and like come up short and biff it. They just do it. And, mm -hmm. and we don't. And, the, and the, the reason is because we're in our head and that comes out in nervous moments, rigs, spears, mm -hmm. balance obstacles. The time for thinking is during training. You train so that you don't have to think, you can react. If your body reacts, it does it perfectly and it almost never screws up. We mm -hmm. screw it up. And so that's that next evolution of that is you train not taking a breath before the rig, not slowing down and just attacking. So that on race day, maybe you saw it with Glenn and VJ. They got to just do the things that they'd practiced a million times, but they have a course in their backyard to do that. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. Bringing it back to animals. Yeah. We're the weakest species. We are. And yeah, watching a monkey swing from branch to branch, he's, he's just trusting his body, does what his body knows, and there's no second thought. And it's it's effortless. It's less taxing. It's, it's definitely less costly. Like... 
on the uh, I don't know the cerebral front. So I agree with I agree with that bracket. That's a good good note to make. And I will say like watching a VJ go through the monkey bars and his on his way to victory in the super was animalistic. It was it was athletic. It was exactly what you're outlining. So it's very true. The way that the best people in the world do things are the way we would do it in training, like on our fifth or sixth attempt when someone was videoing us and we wanted to try something out. Yep. You're capable of doing it, but you would never try it in a race. They have that same confidence level, except there's no worry with, but what if it goes wrong? They've just done it and they know that it'll work. Yeah. I guess the last thing I just want to point out is there was a number of people there who kind of related to me on the injury front. Like, oh, I got this calf thing. Oh, I got IT band thing. Um, haven't been able to run as much. And all of that story was was coming out a good bit. I saw a few race excuse posts and things like that as well. Still, those will always be in existence. Yes, they will. But I just wanted to outline, like, don't lose focus. Stay on your cross training and, and do it with purpose. Don't sit there and ho-hum and feel bad for yourself. You haven't done that with your calf injury. You've stayed purpose and relevant or relative uh, this whole last month, right? <laughs> and it's still, you're going to show up on race day and perform pretty close to your expectations regardless. And, and as we outlined before the race, like going in and only running two days the week prior, like would have a lot of people kind of messed up in their head. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and it's all trash and it's all excusey. You take control of your circumstance and you do the right things along the way. You can still show up and race well. And there were also a handful of people who said, you know, I cross trained hard through this and, and I still showed up and I feel good about my performance, all things considered. So like, if you're one of those dealing with something like, Stay focused. Keep the proper stimulus in your training plan. If you were going to threshold that day, well, guess what? Your ass is on the assault bike and it's going to be a miserable 45 minutes, but like get the stimulus in. And, and it just, it showed for me that like, I didn't mislead the people. I'm not wrong in my approach if I'm running minimally and, and that's okay. It's not a death sentence. And so I just wanted to outline that a little bit. That was definitely backed up this weekend for me. Yeah. You justified that you are the poster child that cross training works. Did you fade a little bit? Did you struggle with stay power? Yeah, but that's what happens with two and three days per week of running. But the fact mm -hmm. that you could take a second and a third with two or three days per running, two or days, two or three days per week of running is mind blowing. And it would not even be remotely possible if you weren't such a stickler for the details on your cross training. There's no other way. Yeah. It's it's different than like, okay, I, I'm injured, so I'll go bike monotonously at 120 beats a minute every day and and watch spartan rewind like that serves its place on a recovery day but no when it's saturday and it's time to go and if i can't run like that's being replaced with something that sucks as it has yeah. to be and you proved it so yeah. I, again i i appreciate people who walk their talk and you did exactly what you said you recommend and it paid off yeah um the other thing i just wanted to say thank you um to everybody who came up, I had more conversations with people who one listened to the podcast and just genuinely looked me in the eye and said like, thank you. And that meant a lot. Um, more husband and wife or boyfriend and girl couples who are on the training plan, like one of them purchases it and then they both use it, which is how this works. And that's okay. Um, <laughs> it's like Netflix. Yeah. It's like Netflix. I just want to say thank you for those who came up. Um, I would say we had... On the running public training plan, guys, I would say we had three or four age group winners that are on our plan. Mr. Vitali, you crushed it out there. Um, our Russian friend, he got on our running public training plan recently and just really endearingly nice guy. And he, he's he been on it. Um, 
between you and I, Bracken, I'm going to pat ourselves on the back. I'm going to say we had 20 podiums at Spartan Vegas this weekend between age groupers. Um, So something's going right there. I would say on the running public training plan, we had, I mean, the podium was full of people on the plan. They came up to me and said, hey, I'm on the plan. I took third today. Thank you. Like, heck yeah. Jess even looked at me at one time. She took so many photos with people, me with people. It was so nice. She's like, is this what it was like to be on The Bachelor? And I was like, no, it was very, very different. But we took that many photos. And I just want to say thank you for those who came up. And it was very genuine conversation. So thank you. We're doing our best to help you. And it was really, really, I wish you would have been there, Bracken, to experience it. But it just warmed my heart knowing, like, it's working. People are following the plan, doing well on it. And, like, the sincerity from the conversations I had was my favorite part of the whole weekend. So thank you to those who came up, said, hey, makes it, it confirms that we're doing what we should be doing over here, Bracken. That's awesome. Although you're going to have to work on your Jess voice. <laughs> Does it bad? <laughs> I, if I were her, I wouldn't enjoy that. That's how I was portrayed. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, that's my female voice. It's like default female, like disapproval. I'm voice. impressed with voice actors. I can't, I can't portray voices very well. So I wasn't trying to mimic her. I, oh, was... I know. I, I couldn't do it any better. <laughs> um, and then the last thing we have our t-shirts on the way. I, a lot of people said, where are those damn yellow t-shirts? The order is through and we have two new ones coming through as well. So uh, those are on the way. You'll know when. They're... What else back in? That's all I got for you. I'm back on the trails, Kirk. I'm running. So people better get ready to see some some races drop eventually. Well, well actually, yeah. Why not, we're real quick, just because you just said that. What, what are you looking at as your next one? <laughs> well, I just removed my next one. We have a family vacation on the same weekend as AT&T Stadium. So that's not happening anymore. Wow, that's a that's a that's a hard one to. You know what? It's not. If it was a series, it would be a hard one to let go. It's not a series. I've skipped this vacation for four straight years because of AT and T Stadium, mm. because it was always necessary to win the series or to try to try to win the series. It's not part of anything. So I think I'm shifting the focus to remove one podium spot from every Midwest race. I love that one. I want. I wanted to go back to the days when everyone's aware that there are two male podium spots available in Illinois, Indiana, Ohio. I don't think there's Indiana this year, Michigan. You guys have two spots that you get to race for. Why don't I join you and make it, make it one spot? Yeah. You and I allow people one spot that they get to fight for. It's really arrogant. I understand that. And that's intentional. I think, I think that uh, VJ has shown me that I need some of the younger Bracken spice back in my mentality. So yeah. Lock down the Midwest, reestablish my ground. I'm going to be peeing on trees. You know, this is, <laughs> this is my territory. I love that. You know, people are shooting from the hip this year. Like everybody's like, I'm not going to Big Bear. So there's like 10 people that are like, I just signed up for, for Montana last minute. And I think Montana and now Austin are going to be racist folks. Like I felt like Vegas was a race, mm-hmm. a true race, a good race, a good field. I think that's a, a Montana and and austin we're gonna see like saturated fields which is really awesome and then people are picking races out of like what passion like what do i want to actually do instead of follow the series half the people are like screw it i'm not going to utah i don't want to race there this year i'll wait till later and i'm gonna just go pick and choose you know what it's like the year of picking and choosing yeah that's exciting oh i want to invite you there's a in illinois there's a rec big 5k that strong as oak puts on and they message us about it you want to team up and do this thing when is it i think it's in june What's this, the premise? Yo, teams of two, 
carry, they share a 50 or 60 pound rec bag for a 5k trail race. You pass it back and forth as needed. Let's go drop the people's elbows on those. I think we need to. I'm 90% committing right now. All right. Strong as Oak, we're in. Woo! See you guys for our long run interview on Friday. Thanks for listening, folks. Thank you.